everyone. Welcome to The Eight. We are on part two of a series titled It's All in Your Head. It's all in your head. And let me spoil it for you. It's not just in your head. Let me spoil it for you. And let me also tell you something you already know. Let me just go ahead and state the obvious here. What we think shapes our mindset, which shapes our feelings. What we think shapes our mindset, and it shapes our feelings, right? Many actions or reactions or overreactions that we take all are coming from our mind. So our mindset, what we think, will shape the framework of how we process things, of how we analyze things. It shapes the lens of how we view things, which will then correlate to how we might react to something. So it all begins of how we shape our mindset. There is a Greek philosopher by the name of Epictetus. Epictetus, I think, hold on. Epictetus. So in the year 50 AD, this Greek philosopher said this, we are disturbed, not by things, but by the view in which we take of them. So it's not necessarily the thing or what that person said. What, what offends us or what makes us overreact is not what that person said, but it's how we interpret, how we analyze, or the view, uh, how we view what they said. So how do we know if the thing that's all in our head is throwing us off? How do we know that how we analyze my spouse and what she said, me overreacting to what my coworker said. How do I know that that's legit how they were thinking, trying to get at me? Or maybe this is all in my head. So how do I know this, right? I think we've all been there. We've said something because we misunderstood somebody or we misinterpreted something. And we look back and we feel so dumb because we misunderstood what that person was saying. But it was all about our mindset. It's all about how we interpreted something, which then correlated to how we reacted or how we felt about something. So how can we analyze if our thoughts are off balance or not? How can we analyze if it's just in our head or it is a reality? For Christians for 2,000 years, many Christians would come, not many, all of them in the early centuries, would come with their insecurities, with their mental struggles, and with their pain, with their sins, with their, their voids, and they would come to the one who is the embodiment of the divine and human in one. They would come to the one who is the fullness of life. And they would come and abide in him and partake of him. This is a sacramental reality for the Orthodox Church. And we partake of that and we still have that continuity of us understanding of how we can be made whole. So we come with our thoughts, like, am I overreacting? Am I underreacting? Like, where, why is my emotion getting the best of me? Am I misunderstanding this issue? All of those struggles that we, we have, we come and center ourselves toward Jesus to figure out, is this just in my head? Is this impacting my relationships around me? This is when we come and partake of him in a divine reality way to see if we are thrown off or not. We take our brokenness and come to the one who is the true image of the divine and human in one. And one of the things that we pray in the divine liturgy, which is in these liturgical texts, we pray these words right here. Yeah, so this is Coptic right here, and this is part of the, and near the end of the, the liturgical service, it's called the, the fraction prayer. And if you don't mind, and I get it, it might not be everyone's cup of tea as far as the ancient music of our church, but this fraction in this ancient language of Coptic um, is strategically put together musically for a certain reason, or it's structured musically for a specific purpose. Because music reflects something. Music helps us uh, reflect a divine reality, and it helps add more emphasis to prayer, to text. So 
I, I just want to, to sing this, and I'm going to explain to you why it's musically structured in this way. Again, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I like it because it has like this bounce to it. And even if you look at the, the Coptic, which is the same letters in Greek, you see nem, nem, nem. There's almost this bounce to how it's, it's flowing back and forth. This is this ancient musical structure to this hymn, which many scholars would say has pharaonic roots to how it is musically structured together. People who study this are called musicologists. They study music and its origins and its roots. But this is the musical structure of this ancient language uh, and of this text in which we pray even till today. But enough of the Coptic. What on earth are we saying? Every thought, every thought which is not pleasing to your goodness, O oh God, that thought of why I'm so insecure every time I see that person, that thought of I always feel like I'm the victim, that thought of that anger, every, like that my blood boils every time I have to deal with this issue or every time I see this person, that thought which I know is not pleasing to you being the source of goodness. I know it's not pleasing to you that the struggle, that mental struggle I have every time I'm triggered, right? That thought that is not pleasing to you not pleasing to your goodness, O oh God, you being the lover of humanity, may it be far from us. We're coming. We're trying to shed that thought that gets the best of us, that negative thought that pulls us down. We're trying to pull that away. May it be far from us. It gets the best of us. It damages me. It damages my marriage. It damages my relationship. It just makes things toxic at work. That May it be far from us. And look how beautiful and, and, and rich the text of our prayers. Purify our souls, our bodies, and our spirits. Our hearts, it almost seems redundant, but the church is trying to get to a point. And then all of a sudden, and then our eyes. And then now it's tremendous emphasis on the mind, on the things all up in our head. Our understanding, our thoughts, and our consciences. Purify the soul, body, spirit, heart, eyes, our understanding, our thoughts, and our conscience. Purify all of that because those mental traps that we fall into, those negative thoughts that pull us away, if it's worrying, anxiety, the victim mindset, you name it, those thoughts that just get the best of me, I want it to be far away from us. I'm not designed. I'm not wired. I'm not divinely wired to be able to cope with this. This is throwing me off. It's throwing everyone else around me off. May it be far from me. And then it ends with so that I can come with boldness, a faith that's not wavered, a perfect patience, a firm hope. I can come to you with boldness and say, our dad, our father. It's so beautiful. It's so rich of how much the church takes this language, adds this music to make it so uh, like even and balanced in this temple of going back and forth. The church is trying to send a message to us of all the mind traps, the things that run in our head. So what's the mind trap? What's the, the, the mind thought that gets the mind thought? That's redundant. The thought that gets the best of us. Last week we talked about worry, right? Worry gets the best of us. It leads to anxiety. It can lead to depression, so forth and so on. We weren't looking at it at a clinical level. We were looking at it at in a way in which we all, it, it all triggers all of us, right? But the mind trap in which I want to talk to today is the victim mindset, victimization, that I'm always the victim, right? Why did my coworker get that, that promotion? Oh, it, it, my, my manager has something against me, right? It's because I did this. It, 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 and, and, oh, they're, they're on the same team. They both have something against me. They're racist. They're, they have something against you name it, right? That narrative begins to build. 
because I have a victim mindset. Let's go with the definition so far for victim mindset. The a victim mentality is when you blame everyone else for what happens in your world. A victim mentality is when you blame everyone else for what happens in your world. So victim mindset is I want to blame everybody else, right? Isn't, isn't it easier? Come on, let's, let's be honest. It's so much easier for me to blame everyone else except myself. So I want to make sure that I am the victim. Here are some common phrases for those who have the victim mindset. Everyone is always out to get me. Everyone has it easier than me. It's always been hard for me. It's always been hard for me. I've never had anything easy. It's always been hard for me. It's always me. Yeah, very good. I'm always at a disadvantage because of my circumstances. I'm always at a disadvantage. Someone's always trying to get me. Let me put this disclaimer. Just as I said the disclaimer last week, we're talking about worry and anxiety. I'm not talking about it at a clinical level. When I'm talking about victimization, the victim mindset, I'm not talking about it at a social injustice level. There are victims. There is no question about it. But I'm talking about the mental trap in which we find all ourselves in of our reflex of just wanting to blame everyone else. I'm the victim because he or she did this or because of my upbringing, because of my mom, because of my dad. Oh, those, those thoughts that get the best of us and we want to blame everyone else. I'm talking about those uh, victim mindset traps that we fall ourselves into. So I'm not talking about the injustice capacity of uh, when, when it comes to victimization. It begins with the stories we begin to tell ourselves, right? A narrative begins to build of why I'm the victim. Self-pity begins to just, I, I loathe myself with self-pity. I'm the victim because of this happened to me. And let me just say this, you know, and, and, and I know this might be controversial and sensitive, but we throw around the word trauma as if it's like water, right? Trauma is a real thing. But now we just kind of, we water it down, especially millennial, Gen Z generation. I know I'm part of that generation as well. But we kind of water that term and we say, oh, trauma, 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 trauma. And we water it down for those who actually went through trauma, but we just put it on ourselves because we love to play the victim role. I, I, this happened to me. It's because I, I wanted to, but it's because of my upbringing, because of my whatever. It's because of the country. It's because of the Republicans, because of the Democrats, so forth and so on, right? We want to fall into that trap of being the victim. I want to share with you the story of, it's this cool icon, by the way. So we're going to talk about uh, somebody named Joseph in the year 1650 BC. This is such a cool icon. I mean, I think he looks so gangster in this picture, in this icon. You know, he, he's, he's a pharaoh. He looks so cool, right? So it says in Coptic there, P. Agios, well, with all respect, not, not a gangster in a nice way, right? He looks, because he's very, he, he has a very big role. I mean, you can look it up in the Bible, but he, he was very, very good, a really good guy. So it says there, uh, P. Agios Yusuf, or, um, you know, the Holy Yusuf, or Saint Yusuf. So I want to share with you, here comes a guy who had every right to fall into the victim mindset. He had every right. He had every, side to every right to just be like, whoa, it's me. And I, all this happened to me. Look what my brothers did. Look what my country did. He had every right. If you knew his story, you would, you would have self-pity for him as well. Right? He had every right to fall into the self-pity or victimization mindset. So he had tons of brothers, right? He came from a huge family. And, you know, his dad did something which is a big no-no, right? You never address, you never say out loud which kid is your favorite, right? So, you know, dad did that. You know, he said, actually, Joseph, you're my favorite. So what do you think that happened? You know, all the other brothers were not happy of hearing that. So what they do, they wanted to get rid of their, 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 their young brother. They wanted to make sure they got rid of Joseph. So they made sure that they, they, they kind of set up this whole narrative of like that an animal, you know, tried to eat him and he got killed. But in reality, they just threw him in a ditch and they just wanted him to rot. 
Uh, but then, you know, one story after letter, you can look it up in the Bible, right? This is, uh, this is all history. And they ended up sell- selling him uh, as a slave, right? And they covered up the whole thing and told their dad, Dad, I can't believe it, your son, you know, the, your favorite one, not uh, any of us, but your favorite son, he died, you know, he got eaten up. It's so sad, isn't it? Right? So they built up this whole story. Man, you talk about your family's dysfunctional. Man, this family, this family got big issues, right? So this, everything is just falling apart. But one thing led to another. You know, he goes from the lowest point of being a slave, and he kind of works him, work himself up in the land that's flowing, not literally milk and honey, but th- this prestigious country in this, in this time, which is Egypt. So he's working him, himself up, and he's near the top of the command, and his manager, his, the one right above him, uh, goes by the name of Potiphar, right? So, so Potiphar is his boss. So Potiphar's wife, you know, you know, kind of sees Joseph. He probably thinks she probably thinks Joseph's kind of cute. So she makes a move, physically, toward him. And Joseph, being a man of integrity, of course, in his weakness, he would love to take advantage of Potiphar's wife, especially she's the one that initiated. But he knew he knew who he was as a man of God. And he knew this wasn't just a transactional thing. He knew that sex was not just physical. He knew that it is putting a betrayal between him and God. He knew that it's putting a distance between him and God. He understood the reverence of sexuality. He understood who he is as a man of God. So he told her, no, I I cannot. I, I cannot. I'm dishonoring God. I'm dishonoring who I am as a man of God if I fall into this trap. But I'm sure in his weakness, he would love to. But he knew who he was. He knew what he was anchored to. Potiphar's wife was not happy. So what did she do? Build this whole narrative that, oh, husband, Joseph tried to make a move on me, and he was trying to sleep with me. And he, she built this whole thing to make Joseph the bad guy, when in reality it was Potiphar's wife that was trying to set up Joseph. So what happens to Joseph? He goes from top of the command, now he's back at the bottom of the pole. So he went from slavery to the top, and now he's back put in jail. And she, Potiphar's wife, accuses Joseph of everything. Joseph had every right, had every right to say, why is this happening? God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? What have I done wrong? How could this happen to me again? You allow me to be in slavery and then I made it and then you made made me fall again. He had every right to fall into that pity party. He had every single right. But instead, he was asking, God, what are you trying to do within me? What are you trying to edify within me? What are you trying to reveal within me through this pain, through this other hardship? What are you trying to do within me? Are you trying to, sh- to, to, to get like this, my, my, my insecurities, my sins, my struggles, are you trying to, to cleanse me through this? What are you trying to do within me? Uh, be putting me through one fire after another, after another. Enough is enough. Come on, God. Like, isn't it enough that like, I, you know, I, I was with my brothers, my brothers, my own blood brothers sold me and tried to kill me. And now you brought me, I thought now you're going to redeem me. But now you bring me back to the bottom. What have I done, God, for you to do this to me? The brothers end up being in famine. They need some food. They need cash. So they go to the land that's full of prosperity. They go back. To, they go to Egypt, and they are ready to beg. They're ready to beg. So they're going to the, to, to the high leaders. And Joseph, w- who worked his way back up, Joseph said to them, "Do not." He's telling his brothers, "Don't be afraid." For am I in the place of God? Like here comes the brothers back, looking, looking to get food back. And Joseph tells his brothers, why are you afraid? Do you think that I, I have the authority? Like do you think I'm in control of my own story? Do you think I'm in control of all the things that happen in my life? No. Do you think I'm in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil for me. 
you you clearly were trying to kill me, right? There, we, we, we cannot twist that narrative. You were clearly trying to kill me. That's you. You were trying to control the narrative. But God meant it for good. In order to bring it about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. What is Joseph telling his brothers? Listen, don't, don't be afraid. Don't, my, my reflex to get back at you, to be transactional, that you did something bad to me, I'm going to do bad to you. No, no. Do, do, do you think I am in that control? Do you think I'm in the place of God? Chill. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. You, know, you can take a breath. I'm not going to do anything to hurt you. Yeah, you tried to do. There's no question. You tried to kill me. But you meant it for evil. But God, who has you and me, all of us, in the palm of his hand, he's in the one control of this narrative. He's the one that can say yes or no to things. So don't think I'm in the place of God. God meant it for good. You meant evil, but God meant it for good. Think of the hardships and pain in which you and I go through. And we're, we're trying to, even if our, our, our trust in God is not there, we're just saying, if there's anybody that's hearing me, get me out of this mess, right? We just want to surrender and just say, God, get us out of this mess. Yes, it might be evil. It might be bad at a 1,000-foot level. But what at a 30,000-foot level? What if God is trying to do something big? What if the story is still being written to me of what God is wanting to do? in your marriage, in your life, in your financial state, when whatever. What if God is still trying to do something in you? You notice how Joseph reframed the narrative? He had every right. I, I'm sure the tension, I mean, we just, we're, we're humans, we get this. I'm sure within him, like, he went, ah, this is my time to get back at them, right? This is his turn. I mean, he's the most powerful man in, on, in the world. This was his time to get back. But he says, do you think I'm in the place of God? But he reframed the narrative. He says, man, <laughs> brothers, you, you, you got no control. You think, you think you're in control. You think you can be able to twist the narrative. But you, 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 you're, you're just a, a limited. And we're all coming to the unlimited. But you, you can't replace God. He knew that his brothers have no control. Now, therefore, Joseph telling his brothers, says, now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. It seems so odd to do this. Like, it seems like, like we, it's countercultural for us to do this. What if you and I do have a victim mindset? Now what? Like, this is a mental trap, right? It's all in our head. It throws us off. Like, but maybe it's hard for us to see. But now what? Maybe, like, maybe I do have this victim mindset. Now what? I want to share three things for us to do. Identify your victim thinking. Identify it. Like, do a diagnostic state of my victim mindset. I need to analyze it. I mean, think about it. We do this for everything else, right? How, like, if you go to uh, Alcoholic Anonymous, Sexaholic Anonymous, you go to any of these groups, the first thing they say, hi, my name is Bill, and I'm alcoholic. Hi, my name is whatever, and I'm, uh, I'm a sexaholic, right? So admitting it, the diagnostic state of me to say this is the issue, right? I mean, think about it. Just in the, in the medical realm, for me to be able to acknowledge what, what's, the, what's the current state, what's, what's the issue, this allows us to have a game plan of how to medicate, of how to, to, to solve this issue. So in the same way, I need to be able to identify where am I thinking wrong? Where, where, where do I see the victim mindset getting the best of me? So it needs to be introspection. It needs to be repentant heart to be able for us to analyze if this is all in my head, which is then throwing me off balance in life. Point number two, be for real. Be for real with any false benefits. Like, let's be for real. It's kind of good being the victim. I kind of like it. Like, I like it when people say, oh, I'm so sorry, Father Nate. Like, I'm sorry that you have to go, yeah, thank you. Right? We like it. 
right? We like being the victim mindset. Let's be honest, okay? So there's a part of us that likes it. Do you know why we like it? It gives us an opportunity to blame others, right? It's, it's not me. It's not me. It's, it's our country. It's the president. It's not me, right? It's not, it, I want to blame everyone else. Oh, it, it's my upbringing, right? It was my mom. It was my dad. You're in control, man. Like, stop blaming other people. Like, so you be for real. We, of course, we love it. So let's be honest. We love the victim mindset. We love to take advantage of it because it's so much easier to blame others. We want to avoid responsibility. We want to avoid responsibility. I don't want to be responsible. It's, I, it's not my fault. It's, it's, it's everyone else's fault, right? We love to avoid responsibility. And point number three, reframe the narrative. I mean, you saw what, what Joseph did. He reframed it. And this was embedded in who he is as a man of God. He reframed the narrative so he doesn't fall into the victim mindset. We may not be able to control the, our story. There are tons of things. We think we think we can control. But there's so many things in which we cannot control, right? We just, we're like clay in God's hands. We can't control. We think we can. We deceive ourselves thinking we can control, but we don't. We surrender. We cannot control our story. But we can control our response, that's the thing. That's a constant. The variable is how the, all the other factors that are above our pay grade. We, we cannot control all these variable factors in which God has in the palm of his hand. But I can control my response. I can control what I'm going to be anchored in. I can control of being introspective for me to have clarity of thought to see am I falling into these traps that are throwing me off balance, that are getting the best of me. Ask. I love this. Ask. Ask why is this happening for me? as opposed to, to me. Our, our reflex, our mindset, why is this happening to me? Is this because I did this wrong? Why is this happening to me? Why, 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 right? That, that's our reflex, right? Is the vi- we want to fall into the trap of being the victim. But ask, why is this happening for me? What is God, the great, the eternal, the incomprehensible, the one who calls me his chosen, his beloved, his child? God, what is he trying to do for me. What, he's permitted, he, the, the one who has everything in his hand, he's permitted these hardships to come. What is he trying to do with me? What is he trying to edify within me? What is he trying for me to wake up? What is he trying to build within me? What virtues is he trying to build within me? What spiritual exercises is he trying to do? What is he trying to do within me? But I can either have that mindset or I can say, why is this happening to me? And continue to fall into this big pity party. So we need to reframe the narrative. Do you know what's a spiritual exercise which helps us fight the victim mindset in which we all are, vic- are, are prone to fall into the victim mindset? Is to serve. Is to give. Joseph was able to fight the victim mindset because he gave of himself. He understood his, he understood his vision, his purpose of who he is as a man of God, and he gave that to others. Because he had the service mindset of giving back to God, this helped him fight the victim mindset. But when it's all me, 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 I want to avoid responsibility. I, I, I want to blame everyone else. I'm just building everything around me. And it's harder for me to give of myself. But if I build the muscle of service, and let me just add a no shame plug again here. The ministry fair coming in next month. Like the whole idea of us having a ministry fair in which we will set up booths here in this room and, and have an opportunity for all of us to serve on a team in the church. This is what I'm building the muscle. I'm totally going off tangent, but it's okay. Like when, when, I'm, when people are kind of like, you know, dating and stuff like that, and I, I think I mentioned this before, but I guess this is just heavy on my heart. People are always looking for, I want someone that's X, Y, Z. I love to ask them, are you becoming that? I want someone who serves. I want someone who love, gives of themselves. Bro, are you giving of yourself? 
Do you, do you live that life yourself or you just want that in someone else? Build those muscles now. It's not like you get married and you press a button, all of a sudden I'm going to serve you till death to his part. That's not, you don't have to press a button. It's not, no, no, some, some, not some magic thing happens once you get married, then that's when you're going to start building the muscle of service. It begins. It's, something, it's a muscle that we continue to build because our reflex is all about me. What's in it for me? I want Amazon to my door. I'm not the reason. I blame everybody else except me, right? That's our reflex. But for us, if we give of ourselves, this is where we find edification. This is where we find the fullness of life. This is where we don't fall into these mind traps. Joseph was a forerunner to Jesus. He kind of reflects the reality of Jesus in many ways in Jewish scripture. Just as Joseph gave of himself and reframed the narrative, Jesus did the same. Jesus, I mean, just at a historical perspective, the worst thing possible happened to the best person. Right? If you just look at the, the narrative of Jesus, the worst thing happened to the best person. But he had every right to twist that narrative of why me. One of my favorite hymns on Good Friday, it, in Greek it's titled Amonagenes. And we say these words. It means only begotten. That's, that's the title of the hymn. It says, God, Jesus, who by weakness... Weakness we see on the cross. Through weakness, he showed forth what is greater than power. Who by weakness showed forth what is greater than power. So for us to give, which maybe culturally might seem like a weakness, this is where we find and tap into something or someone who is greater than power. St. Paul, a great missionary, convert to being a Jesus follower wrote a letter to the city of Philippi in modern day Greece he said this let this mind be in you okay, what mind mind of what's in it for me what's best for me what mind St. Paul what do you say let this mind be in you let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus he's saying anchor your mind all those insecurities all the anxiety all that victim mindset all of that anchor that to the person of Jesus the Christ anchor that to the reality of the one who is the fullness of life. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What is? Who, Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He was equal with God, but he came in the form, still being God, came in the form of a bondservant, no reputation, came born in a filthy manger and came. He says, I didn't, I didn't come for those who are healthy, I, I, but that's not my mission. My agenda is to come for those who are sick. I didn't, come to, I, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. He models for us who we are divinely designed to be. So I pray as we continue on this series of looking at the mind trap, the thing that's in our head when it comes to worry, the thing that's in our head when it comes to the victim mindset in which we are all prone to fall into, that I pray we can take a step back and say, is that in me? Is that throwing me off? Is that impacting other people around me? Am I following into that trap? Am I missing out on the potential of what God is wanting to do in my life? Let this be the prayer and introspection um, for us to prevent us from falling into the victim mindset. Let's stand up for prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen.
Lord, if we are truthful with ourselves, we know that in our heart we are weak, we are insecure, we are nothing alone. Lord, we put on this image as if we are in control of our lives. But Lord, we want to come with our weakness and try to attain the prayer in which we say, Lord, manage our life as you deem fit for it to be your will, not our will. Lord, I pray that you can give us a heart of, of a repentant heart, an introspective heart for us to see, is worrying, anxiety throwing me off? Is the victim mindset throwing us off? But Lord, we know that these mind traps, that, that it's all in our head, can impact us at a deep level, impact our relationships around us, and ultimately we miss out on what you desire to do in our lives. Lord, we want to be like clay in your hands. Lord, we want to be able to reframe our narrative and knowing that you are the one that's ultimately in control, not us. We surrender our life, we surrender our will to you. Through the intercession of St. Mary, the mother of God, and all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.